So I'll just, I'll share some thoughts, but, but steer me and ask me some questions. And I really appreciate Mike um, sharing and um, because he has helped a lot in, in your personal experience and each individual's personal, personal experience I think is, is incredibly valuable. Um, a couple of quick thoughts I had is just from the bit of conversation I heard is it's it's very and I don't say this critically towards any of the comments that were made but it's it can be very challenging to kind of stay um, focused on oneself in this exchange um, I, I think whatever aspect of poverty that you're addressing um, it can be it can be very easy and nat natural and easy to become focused on what's going on in that person's life or why are they making those choices and um, why don't they do this instead of what they've done. And, and I tell you, I've been there on a night at Room in the Inn where you have, and this is, this is unusual, where you have a, an individual that complains that doesn't say thank you. And again, that's very much the exception. But it's real easy to become, start to get a little judgmental, you know, and start to get a little bit harsh feeling towards that person. Um, and so, you know, a little bit of that model, what that model shows and what some of the conversation was about is it, this is so complicated. And every person's story is so complicated. And the solutions are complicated. And so, you know, that, if I become aware of that, if I kind of come to terms with the, with the level of complexity, whether it's homelessness or poverty or what, whatever specific issue we're talking about, then, then the question is, well, what can I do in the midst of the complexity? And so, um, so I, can, I can offer a cup of water symbolically, I can offer a meal, I can offer a smile, I can offer respect, um, and I can do these things in the spirit that I think Christ calls us to. And, and I don't have to have the whole um, path figured out for these individuals, or I don't have to offer my, those things conditionally and so that kind of can free me from some of the, the angst about it sometimes or maybe the, the hopelessness or the questions that, um, and so, and that can sound kind of like a cop out because it's like, well, we're not, we're not dealing with how do we get these people really through this. And because I love that model. I mean, that, the point is not just, we'll get you through tonight and, see you again tomorrow night or good luck tomorrow night or whatever. I mean, we do, our, our prayer, our desire is for this to be stepping stones to a better life for each of these individuals. But, but I don't have to have that all figured out to be able to do the stuff in the moment. Yes? Just a quick question, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead. But it seems to me that what we're doing here at church and have for many, many years has perhaps been at one level of this of this charting, but room in the end as a entity is trying to address uh, a much 
broader picture than right. just that night stay. Um, with the new facility downtown, uh -huh. aren't they? Isn't the organization as a whole trying to do the recovery and development part? It just so happens that the role we are playing here at this church would maybe relief. We're giving you a place to stay on this particular night. We're giving you food in your stomach. Absolutely, and that's that's what I was exactly good segue to what I was getting ready to say is it's um, one of the things that we love about Room in the Inn is it's not just um, crisis management. It is more than that. And so, you know, probably where we've seen that most directly is we've had over the past few years, we historically, Room in the Inn at Otter Creek was 12 men one night a week. And that was kind of our model that was pretty consistent. And probably, I don't know, three or four years ago, it started with just a random night with, hey, can we send you all some families tonight? We have, a, you know, or we have a family of three or four and we'll send, you know, seven or eight men along with them. Can you do that? And, and then that's evolved a little bit to where there have been, we had a few weeks this, this season where we had the same two to three families and that's all that's who we were who we were hosting every night for probably four or five weeks i would guess if, if i can if someone doesn't it's not familiar with room at the end they're staying at other churches other nights that's so right we would take one night uh that that they come here and then they're at other churches right other right and so yeah tuesday night has always been our night and with the exception of really harshly cold weeks, sometimes they ask for extra nights, and, and there have been times that we've done two or maybe even three. I think we did three nights in a row one se one week this this season. But um, so yeah, so it's it probably doesn't even feel that consistent to those families, but at least once a week. And I don't know if maybe maybe their Monday nights are the same, their Tuesday nights are the same, Wednesday nights. I don't know, but but at least we had a we we wanted to provide some continuity to know. Okay, Tuesday nights. You all know where you're going. You know what the facility looks like. You know kind of what the layout is. You know um, that you're gonna get good food and and that we've got some people who are kind of trying to focus in on supporting your family. So anyway, going back to your point, Jerry, um, we knew that Room in the Inn is working with Nashville Metro agencies and social <coughs> workers to try to get and I'm sure other people that I don't even know trying to get these families housing. So we're we're definitely a you know we're a transitional um, assistance part of the equation of part of the process. And so you know that's that's been helpful to me when you do see a family that's coming through to you begin to be able to say so how's what are they telling you like when do you think you're going to get housing? And they get to tell you, well, we, you know, we've heard it's supposed to be in two weeks, but we've got to, you know, we're still waiting on this place to open up or whatever. And it, it kind of opens you up to understanding a lot happens or what is happening when you take them back to downtown. And so, and there's, there's a lot that happens at the campus downtown, um, not just trying to find people housing, but trying to do, um, individual development type of things, addiction type of treatment. Um, GED, GED yeah. classes, yeah. 
So it's really moving up the development. We're providing the crisis relief at, on a uh, regular basis, or at least once a, a week, and then, but at the campus, then it, it really moves into the recovery and development. Right. Yeah, please. If I may ask a personal question, do you know who Barry Hobbs is? I don't. Okay. Uh, okay, full disclosure, my, my cousin, his name is Barry Hobbs, and Barry uh, has struggled with mental illness probably since like 1979. And, and like I said, my family didn't know anything about it. Uh, Barry is TSU's longest continuous student. He started in 1977 and he finished in like 2009. <laughs> I mean, he's like, Barry, and I tell Barry all the time, you're certifiably insane. And one of the things that Barry, um, is dealing with is when the homeless crisis happened in Nashville, when he got a lot of attention, Barry literally walked away from the home that his mother and father had walked into and began to be homeless. He literally was like, I'm going to do this as a political statement. <laughs> the problem is, <laughs> he did this and his brother was like, oh, you've moved out, you're gone. So I don't want you to come back here because you don't have a job to help me pay the bills. So Barry became homeless. And one of the things that, and let me just give some other full disclosure. Because of some legal situations, not a crime, I don't believe, uh, because of some legal situations that are beyond my control, like being self-employed, I had to spend about four days in jail on a suspended driver's license. I'm not on the sexual abuse offender list. I've never sold dope. I don't have a violent felony. Nothing. Okay? And all my charges have been dismissed. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> so in the four days that I was in jail, the thing that I noticed, and I think God literally put me there to kind of learn this, there's so many men out here that are going to jail to avoid men homeless. Like it is, it is, it was the most incredible thing. Because when I, when you're in the pod, one of the things that happened, I was like, man, how, how'd you get here? He said, man, I ain't got nowhere else to be. I was like, give me today because you're not working, you can go home. He was like, dude, I don't have a home. And I was like, Jesus Christ. It's like, but I met like seven guys like that. Like I met so many people that did not have a place to go. And the thing with organizations like Room in the Inn and some of these other organizations, I agree with the GED thing and uh, getting them a job, but the mental illness issue and the issue of chronic systemic poverty is beyond what Room in the Inn really can do. Because here's the thing, like Barry could go, Barry is, is taking meds and all this kind of thing, but he truly believes in what he's doing. The problem is he's taking resources away from somebody that really needs it. But because he's mentally ill and he doesn't, like I tell him all the time, this is insane and it's actually very unethical for you to do this, you're messing it up for everybody else. And for a lot of the other men that I've, that I've met and talked to, they literally don't have anywhere else to go. They don't, they don't feel a part of anything. So what, what can we do about those people? Well, but I mean, I guess my, my quick answer is um, I'm not really seeking to do anything about any of those people. That's not, I, don't, I don't take that. I, I support those who are working in whatever aspects that they can, whether it's, you know, and I'm a supporter of Open Table and I'm a supporter of Room in the Inn and I'm a supporter of homeless advocacy and... Um, I believe in that, but when it comes to room in the inn, I almost feel like I have to kind of step away from people's, from from like issues like, well, these people are exploiting or these people are 
manipulating. It's kind of like, look, you know, this, what we've decided to do is provide 12 beds, 12 meals, night, breakfast, lunch out the door, and I don't, without many questions asked, you know, and we've, and we've struggled through that with like, we put, you know, oh, there were 20 knit hats in our closet and the next morning they're gone. And that's like, in a way you're like, oh man, that means like next week, like there, somebody's gonna come in and they're gonna want a hat. But then you have to take a step back and go, look, if there's a guy and he knows that I can have, if I grab two knit hats, I can trade a knit hat for a pair of socks, which is what I really need, or I can trade that for a buck that'll help with somebody else. I mean, it's just the whole, it's just, it's just real, um, it's gray to me. And, and, and I try to step out of the judge role as much as I can and say, if that's, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not saying we don't have any boundaries or we don't sometimes say, look, we need to only put a certain number of these items out because we really do want to make them stretch out. But I also try to balance that with saying, these guys are living and operating in a world that I can hardly imagine. And so I don't want to take my um, ethic of affluence and put it on them to say, hey, you should only take one hat, you know? And so it kind of goes, so that's kind of like, if you're gaming the system, I don't think that's, I don't, it's not like I don't care, but it's just not my place with room in the end and the capacity that we're working to monitor that or to really, you know. And, 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 and to, to, to your point, I've heard Father Strobel, who was the founder and longtime administrator there, kind of say, hey, put that back on us. We get to know these people much better than you would ever know them one night a week, right? And so let us help them pass those issues. Mm-hmm. We, all we ask from you, to your point, is keep them healthy for a day. That's all we're asking. And make sure that you give them some human interaction that helps them have some dignity about where they are and repeat the process. Right, yeah. And that's right, and I should make sure I include that when I say 12 beds. Because a really important part of what we want to provide is hospitality and acknowledgement that they matter, you know, because I mean, that is a one thing I've heard is just that, that feeling and you can read the contributor or you can read some stuff online through open table or a room in the end and you, you hear this recurring themes of homeless people feeling invisible and feeling like people don't want to make eye contact with them. They don't, you know, they just want to be avoided. And so if you sit down at a table with somebody and you just have a, you just treat them like you're sitting down at a table with anybody else in here, then it doesn't seem like much, but I hope, and I, I don't want to be assume, you know, presumptuous or certainly not um, condescending, but I think to some of these individuals that don't have good, healthy human interaction, it matters. Yes? Do, do, do you know, <clears throat> I'm intrigued by the, the consistent family participation uh-huh. that we, we focus on. Uh-huh. Um, 
you happen to know what solution was found for that in yeah, terms I, of overnight? Yeah. We, 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 we did these two nights, um, Shannon and, and I. So um, there were three family units and then one just daughter and, 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 and mother. Um, that that um, got distracted there for a second. All of them had delayed development issues with their children, except for one of the children, and they were the ones who were transitionally homeless. They had just they were uh, they they were an unmarried couple with a child, and because they were living as an unmarried couple, one of their family members decided that they couldn't live in their house anymore and or put them out on the street. So, but, and, and they were they were okay, but as a result of that, they had some other mishaps. They were fine, okay? So we, we helped them probably the most because they were easiest to help. They, did, they really do just need a leg up. The other ones though, we were providing things like medication, uh, a, a way to get to <coughs> back and, and forth from uh, from a doctor's visits that they had for some of their children. One of the children was very special needs. I mean, he didn't get out of the stroller the whole night. I don't think he was just. But what, kind of, was it temporary or hometown? Yeah, some of them. That family, I don't know. They were very close. They did not communicate much, and we were trying to help them well, the most. But where I'm going with this, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a neophyte, I'm just I'm sure. kind of maybe reacting to the emotion, but you know, I'm wondering should churches beyond where we are with room the end begin to look at closing that gap? And I'm not talking about the hundreds of thousands of dollars to go build habitat homes. There's empty apartment units as we sit here this morning that don't cost that much. Yeah. Five, six, seven, I'm going I'm to cut this this part off just for now. I want to hear from Matthew we're, just a minute. We're, we're going to be affordable, a, empty apartments. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is Some, somewhere there. It, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, we I, we went to Walmart six times for these folks. Try to get them with it. These two guys. So so what Jim is is described, and I, I think described really well, is is we have a niche here that we provide in terms of a service on a regular basis, does it, do it consistently, and minister to specific individuals in a specific way. Room in the Inn as a whole ministry is much broader and covers the full, full spectrum. But I think the point is really significant because it is, this is what it is, this is what we provided. We've done it here, from the, we were one of the founding churches and I, I don't know the overall the ministry, but years and years and years. And if we tried to do 200, everything, 200 plus churches, we would yeah. we would probably be burned out, and it would be in some other area. I think that is a really important point. Matthew ministers in a different area in Africa to a different need. If you don't mind, just share with us briefly as we get ready to close. Come up and, and tell us your ministry. So we work in Uganda and Congo with rescued child soldiers. Sorry, I work for Exile International, and that's what we do as a whole. So um, children that, um, so child soldiers is probably a new term for most people, if you haven't heard Beth or I speak before, but um, average age, 10, 12 years old. Um, so imagine your fourth graders, your fifth graders. 
um, that are abducted by rebel armies and sometimes even government armies um, and forced to fight. Many of, um, almost all of the children that we serve have uh, participated in or committed acts of murder, many of them countless acts of murder. They were forced to. This is not by choice, by any means. And most of them have spent roughly two to three years. Three years is the average amount of time. And so when they're coming out of that, so we don't do the rescues. Sometimes that's confused. We're not, um, I wish, I think at night sometimes I dream that I'm Jason Bourne and that I'm actually going in and rescuing. And then, you know, then I get to put on my counseling hat. It's like, all right, hunky-dory. So it's not quite like that. But the UN facilitates the rescues. And then we work with, um, similar to, I love what you were sharing before, you know that like that's, um, your role at Rim at the end is a cog, one of the many cogs in the wheel that you have to, in a sense, trust the system. So we work amongst a cluster of other organizations in that area, um, in the arena of child protection. Now, we are the cog that is long-term rehabilitative care. Um, so the UN and some of the other transit facilities, they'll often go through these short-term transit facilities and they'll, our, our teams work with their teams to decide who's going to come into the long-term care and who's not. A large part of that is just if we have room and if we don't. Um, but then uh, otherwise it's also, it's, all right, we do have room for one, now who's it going to be? You work within that context. So once they're with us, it is, um, and again, I think if you had spent three years as a child being forced to kill, like multiple of our children have for, were forced to kill family members and the trauma that they've experienced. So it's psychological care. Um, but before you even get there, you've got to provide a safe place. So first, safety. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if anyone remembers their Psych 101 class. So you've got to give them safety. You've got to provide uh, a meal. That's a part of safety too. You have to provide for nutrition. But then it's the psychological care. Um, that we're providing too so that they can begin that journey of healing. Uh, it's not going to be an overnight. Those scars aren't going away anytime soon. And then uh, again, it's that development piece. It's like, all right, you don't want to then create um, a, a constant need for relief. So then we also have education and leadership development. So the goal is through the program and what we're seeing happen is children are getting an education which Actually, so many people in the region where we work are not, so many children are not receiving education. Education isn't free there. So our, what we're seeing is children are actually starting to excel through the education and through the counseling, and then you're able to launch them, especially with leadership development, and I'm, I'm sure that Room at the End probably has this as well. I mean, you have to have mentors and people to teach you the things that, you know, my parents taught me certain things that have enabled me to move forward in life and to make good decisions. So we have mentors that do the same thing. And so what we have is children that are able to go from victim and not stay there, which is unfortunately what happens without intervention. So I know a couple of the exchanges were, so how do you know when to do something? How do you know when not to? Well, when you don't, what happens is these children were going back to their, if the UN rescues them, um, they would go through their two to three day transit facility, they go back to their village, and then they end up right back in that transit facility six months or a year later when they're rescued again. Because no one wanted them, they're rejected, and then they go back to those old things. So you have to provide something and you start developing 
the child so that they can begin becoming the influencers and a positive influence. And I know we're out of time. Yeah, so. we're going to have to stop. Uh, what you're providing is the UN provides the crisis intervention, and then you're on the recovery, yeah. the development side. Yeah. Next week, 